If you've never used form goggles before, you're missing out. As soon as you put them on and wear them for your first swim session, you get out of the pool and you realize, I wish I'd been wearing these for the last few years. They give you live pace as you swim so you don't have to look at the clock or try and guess what pace you're swimming as you're doing your intervals. And you don't have to try and click start and stop on your watch every interval, which is something I really like. And something else I really like is that you can put workouts into the goggles. So before you go swimming, you just chuck the workout into them. And then when you jump in the pool, literally all you have to do is follow what your goggles say. They really make boring solo swims fun and motivating. So if you're someone like me who gets a little bit bored going to the pool by yourself, they're literally perfect for you. Head to Form's website and use the discount code HTT15 at checkout when you buy some for 15% off plus a year's free um, premium membership and realize why every professional athlete you see seems to be wearing them. They really do make swim training more motivating, funner and, and way more specific and easier if you are doing sessions and workouts. You'll love them, I guarantee it. So today's Q&A day, uh, you guys send in your questions, we answer them. And today I'm joined by Eric Lagerstrom, who's going to sit in the co-pilot seat with me. Um, he's very familiar with uh, the Q&A format. So we'll work our way through all of your questions today. Uh, we've got 10 of them uh, and we're going to start with, with this one. Eric, uh, outside of triathletes who have already gone to a single sport, if you think of Gwen Jorgensen to running or Camworth to cycling or Lucy Charles Barclay to swimming, who do you think is the triathlete who has the potential to go and be the best swimmer, cyclist, or runner in the world? Mm, Alex Yee. Yeah, he's. I guess is he already he's, on that list? You know, he's I probably mean, already like on the list. Ten K British record holder or whatever he is. Yeah, I think because he was a runner before triathlete, he doesn't count. He's already done it. Similar to Lucy Charles. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess maybe my second choice would be. I think Martin Van Riel can make a pretty good go in professional cycling. Really. Yeah, I mean, the races that I've done with him, he's got the technique. He's, uh, he's certainly got the engine for it. I think he's going to be devastating if he can stay injury-free um, in, like, the 100K distance. That's the first person that comes to mind. What kind of what kind of professional cyclist do you think he would be? Well, he's Belgian, so, I mean, of course, he's going to do cyclocross. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. Is he? What's his technical ability like? I think he's, I mean, he's, like I said, I've just raced against him. I haven't, you know, gone and like weaved around cones or anything like that, but, uh, he knows how to keep the bike upright, <laughs> you know, with the exception of when he's riding it. So on the line and he go, like that time they went down at, uh, Yokohama and broke his hip tragically, but I've always just respected the hell out of him for how he races and hangs it all out there. And I think, uh, that attitude gets you a long way in cycling. Yeah. I like it. I would never have thought of him. I sort of see him as a pure triathlete, uh, who, He's like pretty even across the three. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I do think he's like incredible bike talent from my observations, like I said. I've got a similar take uh, in Gustav Eden to cycling. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see it. I think, um, yeah, yeah, you just never know. It's hard to know exactly how like, uh, like Gustav's obviously incredible over the 70.3 distance. We already know it. And how does that like, ability to hold 350 watts or whatever you're holding you know consistently for two hours how does that translate over to four hours with all these crazy crazy high like three minute efforts and recovering off of that so it's it's hard to know but uh yeah i, th I think he'd be he'd make a go at it for sure i don't think he could transition straight away right like i don't think it would be he transitions and in 12 months he would be one of the best in the world i think it would be a five-year project yeah you're right it's hard because like he's not like a Camworth profile. Like it's just sit on the front in the wind. I don't think he's like that type of an athlete. And then, yeah, where does he fit inside of the Peloton? If not in that position, I think he'd be a bloody good climber. Like I, I, I he is a good climber. Uh, he's one of the best climbers in the world. And I think if he spent five years like dedicating himself, he could be one of the better climbers uh, in the pro Peloton, like, you know, top 10, top, top 15 climbers in the world. Yeah. Well, let's uh, just drop him a note, see if we can get that experiment going. <laughs> no, we want Gustav back in 2024, and there's a question coming up soon about that. Uh, next question, Eric. Do you think Ironman will ever do pro-only races like the PTO? 
Mm, I doubt it. It's just completely not the business model and the whole approach. I think the whole thing that they've built the Iron Man brand upon is like, you are an Iron Man and this is about you overcoming your thing. And yeah, the pros are there as like this inspirational figure, but it's, they haven't, you know, the, the PTO's business model is more about like, look how impressive these athletes are and you want to watch that, you know, and that's just, they just have different business models. What if it gets to a situation where the PTO is bigger than Ironman and so much bigger that every professional wants to race PTO races and Ironman go, oh, we're really losing professional triathlon here and we're becoming more and more just an age group organization. Would that force it to happen? Mm, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends who owns Ironman at that point in time, however many years that takes. Because, I mean, they've been diversifying their portfolio with gravel and now ultra running and everything. And is that just a move of like, uh, we don't know how long this triathlon thing is going to last. And if it all collapses because the pros go away, like they have other interests. So I don't know. Like I said, I just I feel like that's so counter to the Ironman brand and core values that it's hard to imagine for me. I think never say never, though. Like I I, I think. Ironman will deny it, but the pro race series in 2024 is a direct response to the PTO, 100%. And I think they do. They, they say they don't see the PTO as competition, but I think they do. I, I, I really think they do. And I, so, I, so, I think the more popular the PTO becomes, the more market share they get in pro racing. I, I, yeah, I see a world where Ironman do decide, hey, we want this monopoly. We actually don't want competition. Like, we're going to use our big organization to do things like pro only races or maybe do pro races the day before and age group races the day after. I, I, I do see a world where it could happen. Yeah. I, I could see that where they definitely massively increase the emphasis that's put on the pro field and yeah, do it the day before and try to make it more spectator friendly. But I mean, PTO is even, you know, contrary to what they said initially, they're starting to have age group races alongside of their pro races and, for sure, those age group races don't pay the bills on all the cameras that you see and that you're looking through when you watch on TV. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's just, it's like part of the thing. And for, I guess, like really hard to imagine Iron Man just doing like Island House style and just like inviting a bunch of pros to a place and having no age group component. It still feels like the pros to me are like the advertising conduit to sell entries. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't see a world where they have like a pro only weekend where there's no age groupers. I think they'll always have age group racing. It's just, that's their money, isn't it? Whereas yeah. the PTO, they, I don't think they're not, or I don't think it's even a secret. I don't think that they're bringing on age group racing to make money. I, they just want crowds so that their TV product looks better. Like they don't want a TV product where the cameras consistently have no like spectators, no crowds. They want, their cameras looking totally. like the sport's really popular and there's heaps of people watching and the finish line is packed and the, the side of the course is packed. That's literally the reason why they're going with age group racing. Totally. I mean, we all kind of saw that during COVID, seeing stadiums and you know, soccer fields like, with no few fans in the stands and it was just, it was eerie. It lost a thing versus, you know, seeing the crowd go crazy and panning through and seeing people, you know, flipping their shirts around. And it actually, it actually makes me think of uh, this World Cup, Chengdu, in uh, in China, where at least the last time I did it, they bust out like five thousand spectators. And just hey, you know this neighborhood for like ten bucks a day or whatever, you're all going to come out and watch the triathlon. And it, I mean, it's undeniable the difference that it makes on coverage and to the athletes, obviously. Really, that I didn't know that happened. Oh yeah, it's stuff that uh, China things. Wow, wonder if the PTO would ever consider that. They seem to uh, <laughs> like spending money. Uh, <laughs> yeah i think they might go with the uh hyping it advertising it trying to make it seem interesting versus the you know <laughs> like the chinese method but uh yeah <laughs> I, I totally agree with you i think that's that's a huge motivator and just like having you know sat and listened to things and understanding kind of the economics of video work it's certainly you know a, th a thousand age groupers is not going to cover half of the production value you know cost yeah no well when you hear figures bandied about like a hundred thousand dollars per tv camera like yeah. it's pretty crazy you know like that's why everyone's yeah. like oh can you cover the back of the race as well um or can you cover like you know all the battles that are unfolding it's like two cameras on the course cost two hundred thousand dollars you'd, you'd need like six cameras that's six hundred thousand dollars i think it's pretty crazy. you know um, i i agree but i also you know like i don't know if you've watched um ultra running at all and what dylan bowman's doing with um 
uh, run free trail and how they cover ultras that are out in the backcountry, and they've just they've got like a, a live broadcast system set up where someone's cell phone or their like little mini drone is like feeding through the internet to their live broadcast hub and everything. And yeah, the coverage cuts out occasionally, but it's fantastic. And you can tell what's going on and the commentary is good. It's engaging. So like I've actually over the years, just because you, you look at some of this stuff and everybody always likes to complain, like, why are there more cameras? Why aren't you covering the back of the race? So I've looked into some of these like little mini, I don't want to call home, but like prosumer level broadcast setups. And it's not that complicated. And you could, you know, put your iPhone on a gimbal and have that be one of your cameras. And you have a nicer camera with a little broadcast unit on it. You have a drone, all the drones these days broadcast via, you know, like the whatever to your hub. And you could actually put on a live broadcast in your town for like not that much money if you were willing to bootstrap it like that. I think that the, the factor there is that because the PTO use a big production company, they're not used to that. Like they like doing it the TV way, which is like the best cameras in the world. Um, how it's how mm. it's been done in, you know, F1 or rugby for for the last 10 years like that's what they like to do so like the idea of getting an iphone out there is very foreign to them um they did use drones at the pto uh at the back end of this year which i thought was really promising and it says to me that they're going to be doing more of that next year um but yeah i think that's incredibly powerful i don't know if you've watched um there's like a free snowboard like backcountry free ride tour i think it's and what's it called? Travis Rice organized the whole thing. And the whole thing is videoed by drones, like the FPV style that follow the rider. So you just like having this video game view as the rider goes down the mountain in Alaska. And it's it's freaking incredible. And that is not a crazy high budget yeah. operation. Cyclocross and mountain bike do, do it as well. Like they use oh, drones right. perfectly. And it's actually like, it's awesome footage. Like I actually watch it because of how good the footage is, not necessarily because I'm a fan of the sport. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. A bit easier on closed courses, obviously, compared to like 80K bike rides. But we are doing looped, looped rides now, so it's not as hard. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall as they're discussing how they lay out the whole strategy for that. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Next question. We often talk about short course athletes stepping up and racing 70.3 or PTO, but which current short course athlete do you think will be the first to win an Ironman World Championships? And like in Kona or Nice or wherever it ends up, wherever it ends up. Yep. Mm. I don't know. Hayden wild is pretty impressive and whatever 70.3 he just did. I, I feel like he's kind of that really well-rounded, pretty strong. You know, you'll see him on the front on the bike a lot, that type of a profile that could pull it off. Yeah. It's hard not to go with Hayden, isn't it? You know, he's racing yeah. 70.3 Melbourne. Like you said, then was, he did that so easily. Like it was, it was crazy how easily he did that. He didn't ride as hard as he could have. He let off on the on the run. Like, yeah, I think he's yeah. it's Hayden Wild until someone else you know shows that they're better, isn't it? Really, that's what the crazy thing about it is, though. Is if we like backed us up five years or something, you know, we'd be like Alistair Brownlee. Obviously, he's gonna win as many as Jan, and then just like injury issues. And yeah, seventy point three is one thing, but then Kona and the full Iron Distance is. Man, it's it's like so hard to draw conclusions from, you know, like Hayden's doing a 50-50 split of sprint distance and Olympic distance now. And yeah, sure looks like he's dominating and strong enough to do a full Ironman, but man, you just don't know. And it's like, how many times have we seen that like the fifth place guy that you didn't even really notice from WTS coverage ends up being the dude who had the like the right motor and the right metabolism, all the things and the mentality. Cause that's the other thing, like going from short course to long course, it's boring. It is <laughs> If you like really excel at short course, that's fun. It's fast. It's wheel to wheel. It's full on. And then you like staring at your handlebars for hours on the bike. And that's not for everybody. The one who I'm the world's biggest Alistair Brownlee fan, um, but I didn't think he would go and, you know, win the Ironman world championships. But the one who I did think would was Javier Gomez and he never has either. So it, it speaks to your point there that, like, I thought it was a no-brainer. I thought Javier for sure would just win Kona one day, if not multiple times. I just thought he was, like, he's, like, perfectly designed for it. He swims really well. He's solid on the bike. And he's one of the most economical runners I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just thought... And he never gets injured. Never like gets he, injured. he seems like perfect profile. I agree. Yeah, except that's the problem. He does get injured now. And he has got injured ever since he, like, tried to actually compete at the full distance so yeah it's hard to predict but i think the difference with alistair and hayden is the way they race and the athletes they are to me 
uh, they're quite different. Like Alistair is what you talked about, like just off the front, always like just going as hard as he can, very injury prone. Um, whereas Hayden is just one of those really solid um, athletes. He doesn't get injured very often. He he has that like um, running economy that you, you just know can hold up for a marathon. Whereas you look at Alistair and you go, okay, you're fast over 10K, but you don't look like you can hold up for a marathon, you know, running at 2.30 pace um, off the bike. Whereas I think Hayden does. He looks super economical. I just, yeah, I think he's, I think he's actually going to be a better long course athlete than he ever was short course athlete. And that's saying something because he's a like, fucking good short course athlete. As we know, he could win the Olympics next year. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally. Everyone's always confused about what nutritional products they should be using while they train and race and never really knows if what they're using is the best option for them. I can tell you from my experience of trying about 20 to 30 different brands over probably the last eight to 10 years that Precision Fuel and Hydration is by far my favorite. I started with Precision by trying their PF30 gel, which I really liked. And then I tried their drink mix, which I probably liked even a little bit more before finding the product from them that really took them from being, I think my equal favorite brand at the time to without question, my favorite brand, the PF90 gel. It's seriously amazing. And then more recently, I've been experimenting with their brand new flow gel. And honestly, I think it's now taken over as my favorite nutritional product I've ever used in my life. I don't ever do long rides or runs or hard sessions without it now. And if you're racing triathlon, particularly long course triathlon, or you're going to do a marathon, it's just the perfect way to get fuel in. Try it for yourself. Head to Precision Fuel and Hydration's website and use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off your first order. If you were going to build your ideal Ironman triathlete, whose swim, bike, and run are you taking? And we'll do a men's and women's ones. Let's, let's start with the women's. <laughs> uh, man, I don't, I don't know if I follow every race closely enough to answer this as intelligently as like Paula would. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, didn't Sam Laidlo like led the swim, led the bike and then ran great. So I think we could take Sam's swim bike and then throw in, uh, whatever Langa's run. You can only take one from each person. Okay. Well, I think, you know, we could probably take quite a few people swim. So I'll do, we'll do Josh Hamburger's swim. Who's bike? Yeah, we'll go with Laidlo. And who's run? Um, I mean, is, is, are people running faster than Patrick Langer right now? I feel like he's, I, I feel like that's pretty safe. And then what about your women? Uh, yeah, I guess Lucy's swim, Daniela's bike when she's having, you know, peak Daniela day. And then, yeah, I guess, man, I, Ann Hogg is just the first one that comes to mind for sure for the run. Yeah. For me, the, the women is, uh, Lucy Charles, obviously for the swim, um, Taylor Nib. I think obviously for the bike, uh, and mm. yeah, Annie Hug for the run. Um, only because it's Ironman distance. I actually think there's an argument that if it was like PTO seventy point three, you might take Ash Gentle. But for Ironman, Annie Hug. Um, the, mm. the men, the swim. Oh, the swim's so hard with the guys. because uh, oh, there's some guys who don't finish high up who have very good swims. But I'm gonna take Aaron Royal despite that i do think he could he's just such a good open water swimmer he's not the best pool swimmer in the sport but 3.8k ocean swim like he i think he's probably the best um uh bike yeah yeah uh i think sam Laidlow as well magnus did live in sam Laidlow are the two but i think sam Laidlow. and then the run is yeah definitely patrick langer i think yeah i i mean i i say i think with a lot of these because right now it feels like Every weekend, I look at some race results, and of the top ten people, like I know, I recognize three names. <laughs> Whereas it used to be, you'd look at the results and like, yep, 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 makes sense, that tracks. And now it's just like, who, 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 who? And I'm going down trying to Google these people and everything. So it's like a crazy time in the sport where, man, that there, I mean, there was a then some kid runs super fast, like in seventy point three or Ironman Cosmo recently. There's just there's like crazy performances happening, you know, in single sports every weekend especially with the europeans it just feels like every week there's a new european who you're like i've never heard of this person before and you have to go and look at them and like what they've done yeah. and yeah the european boom in triathlon is like is fully real and 
they they are taking over this sport. They have like they have so many good young athletes. Whereas like America or Australia, you sort of know who's there and who's coming up. Whereas these Europeans, they are just like, you know, like um, you know, like whack a whack a mole that game that they just pop up yeah. randomly over nowhere. <laughs> That's the Europeans in triathlon at the moment. Yep, totally. And you know what? I actually made a backup and changed my run answer to Jason West. Oh, over the full distance. West versus Lang. You think West wins? I think he would. I don't mind it, mate. I really don't mind it. I think you could be. Oh, if they, if you both gave, if you gave them both six months, so not a long build, six months, and you said, hey, you both have to go and run Berlin Marathon. You, yeah. you'd pick West. Oh yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I think I, you're right. He's running so fast; it's bonkers. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. I, I'm actually 100% with you. I change as well. Uh, you, yeah, mm-hmm. You're right. Um, although just because Jason West is making that short course switch, if it was tomorrow, I think Lang would win. But you gave them six months. Yeah, I think West would win. I would say off the bike, I still think like in an open straight up marathon right now, may, I might go Jason, but off the bike, maybe, maybe Patrick, just because he knows how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like if the Ironman World Championships were next week and it was off the bike, Patrick Lang's going to run faster, I think. But yeah, Jason West would probably be faster at halfway. Yeah, I think so. If you had to predict which one will survive longer between PTO racing and professional Olympic distance racing, which would you pick? Mm, professional Olympic distance racing. We're, we're talking about draft legal. Draft legal. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think it's established it's an Olympic sport and you look across other sports like wrestling, there is not really much of a professional sport, but it's stuck in the Olympics and that uh, has a lot of staying power. Do you think there's a chance that the Olympic distance might go to sprint distance at the Olympics though? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it seems like a real good chance. (laughs) The way things have been trending and certainly if they want to make it as spectator friendly as possible. Yeah, that's what I think. I think like, I think... If the question was which one will last longer, you know, um, professional short course racing or PTO racing, it's short course racing every day of the week, no questions asked. But I think the Olympic distance factor makes it a bit tricky where I think Olympic distance draft legal racing is dying. Like I think it's, it's not far off dead. That's how unpopular it is. Like no one really watches it. It's got like quite a big following in Great Britain and parts of America, but, um, nothing compared to the long course sport and if pto come in and and like take over professional long course racing then i see a world where short course becomes like sprint distance at the olympics and more of their races become sprint distance and it's like you know let's say there's eight races a season uh, in like the wtcs series i could see a world where six or seven of them are sprint distance and, and only one is olympic distance and then eventually none yeah, I mean, the thing that the Olympics has going for it is it's got federation funding. So as long as you're, you know, a, your country, you know, you earn spots and, you know, year on year, you get this funding from your country. It's not like beholden to whether or not it's spectator friendly and what the public thinks, you know, that moment. It's a little, like I said, it just feels like more like a long-term stock and that, you know, USA triathlon and Australian triathlon putting in money and supporting these athletes is is what keeps it going rather than you know, me paying money for a live broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Like, like I said, short course racing will outlast the PTO for sure. It's just whether it's Olympic distance or not. Um, and yeah. I, I, I do see Olympic distance being gone, you know, within 10 years, 15 years. So I guess it's the question is, will the PTO last 10 or 15 years? Uh, and that's hard to see at the moment. Like if you're a betting man and you said, will the PTO still be around in 15 years? Oh, you, like you would yeah, probably bet. You would lean towards betting no. You would want to say yes, like because of how good of it is for the sport. You would be like, oh, I, I hope, like I really hope, but oh, it would be huge if they could. Um, so yeah, I'd yeah. Pro- I'd probably lean towards short course Olympic distance racing out outlasting PTO racing, but honestly, hoping that PTO racing outlasts yeah. it because that means that the sport's doing well. Yeah, would love to be wrong. Bottle down your top or calf sleeves. You can only pick one for race day. Which one do you pick? <laughs> can I choose neither? Oh, you can. Yeah, for sure. I think they're both uh, 
just awful <laughs> visually. I would that's a thing though where I like in gravel racing, I you know how they just decided, okay, no more arrow bars. Now you don't you now you don't have to think about it. Everybody just race without arrow bars. Like I wish that was a thing with the bottles down the kit and the calf sleeves. We're like, this doesn't look good. And we're trying to be on TV and we're trying to be cool. Like, let's just say no to that and agree that we're all gonna, you know, be one watt slower. Uh, oh yeah. I think that's uh that's hard to argue with. I, like I've just become so accustomed to them that I don't even think they look bad. But I remember 10 years ago thinking calf sleeves just looked so bad. Yeah. And I just, I guess I just assume that's what the general public who, you know, we're trying to get this on ESPN. I just assume that's what they're thinking too. Like, what are these people wearing? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you talk to any runner or cyclist, triathletes are not uh, looked about as, as cool people, are they? No, no. And I, I feel like I'm, I've been fighting that you know, not an aggressive way, but I've been like trying to fight that perception my entire career by creating videos and, and doing photography and just like trying to be, you know, a more personable person when I go on group rides and everything to put positive, uh, I guess, ness into the triathletes, uh, you know, the impression of triathletes abroad, but it's, it's a hard battle because we got a lot of gear. <laughs> I'm going to pick one though. Uh, I'm going to go, uh, I would take bottle down the top over calf sleeves. Um, I think uh, purely from a speed perspective, I think calf sleeves can save um, a few watts if you're going fast, but uh, a bottle can save watts for almost everyone. So I'll pick mm. bottle. Yeah. I've got an announcement that I think is really exciting um, that I've been wanting to share with you for a little bit, but now's the time. So I hope you all uh, find it exciting as well. We've been doing a podcast series on the Triathlon Hour Patreon called The Chase Pack. It's a podcast series that follows the lives of six low-ranked professional triathletes as they experience the ups and downs of their triathlon lives. Um, and it was really well-received, uh, probably the most well-received series that we've done on Patreon. And funnily enough, AG1 got in touch with us and said that they'd been listening to The Chase Pack uh, and loved it and wanted to support it and asked if there was a chance that we could do the series for the whole year in 2024 and put it out for everyone to listen to. So I'm pumped to announce that in 2024, the Chase Pack will be released as a weekly podcast on the Triathlon Hour for you to all listen to. We really can't thank AG1 enough for getting behind the series. And if you did want to catch up on the series that they, they loved and that so many people on, on the Patreon have loved, um, then the 12 podcasts or three months worth of the chase pack that have already been created uh, are still available and will always be available over on the triathlon hours patreon the link for the patreon is in the episode description um, or it's over on the triathlon hours uh, instagram in the bio uh, it supports the show but yeah you always get you also get access to what is probably the best patreon exclusive series we've done over there um, in the chase pack so uh, if you do sign up, thank you. We appreciate the support, but also enjoy the enjoy the chase pack and get ready to listen to it every week next year in 2024. For Ironman racing, which of the three disciplines do you think is the very most important? Mm, the bike. Yeah, the bike. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously you have to run well, but I think that comes down to being so incredibly fit on the bike that you're not that phased by the bike and you can run fast. I also think you're more of a chance to podium the world championships by being at the front of the race off the bike than what you are being, you know, 20 minutes down off the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly these days. I mean, these days it's just like, you have to be so well-rounded, um, no matter what, but yeah, I still feel like the bike is kind of the, the core of the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. I reckon like pre 2015, the answer is probably run the runs the most important because there was definitely opportunity to run through the field whereas now like sam laidlow and magnus ditliv and gustav eden and max newman they're not going to run slower than like 240 242 at, at like an ironman world championships for example so if, mm -hmm. if you're 20 minutes down on the bike you're not catching them you're battling for fifth or sixth and we saw it with arthur Horso, who had the um, second or fastest run at the Ironman World Championships this year, and he finished sixth. And that was probably like the very best he could have done that day because no matter how fast he was on, on the marathon, it didn't matter because he was so far behind in T2. Yeah, the guys, the guys who are biking the fastest are no longer getting off the bike and maybe walking or running a 301. It's they're running fast. You're not bringing back 15 minutes. Yeah, we don't have any Chris Liados anymore, do we? But that's gone in the sport. 
No, we don't. But that was such a fun time. I miss that. Yeah. My favorite era as well. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Alexander, Liedo, you know, Wellington. Yeah. That was, I love that. Um, if we had a single triathlon hall of fame that everyone knew about and truly recognized as the triathlon hall of fame, which male and female that will still be racing in 2024 do you think would be the first pick to enter it? Hmm. So somebody who's currently racing. Mm, I guess it'd be hard to not say Christian, just given his short course, mid course, long course, all the all the things that he's been able to accomplish. Uh, and then for women, yeah, I, I think I would say Daniela. I guess she'll still be racing, and and her legacy is is going to go on a long time. Yeah, you've uh, you've stolen mine there for sure. It's Daniela <laughs> Reef for the women. I think I think Daniela Reef would be the first picked women in triathlon history not just of current racing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to think of somebody who you, you would pick ahead of her. Maybe like a Paula New- Newby Fraser, but I actually think you would pick Daniela ahead of her anyway. Um, yeah. That's, that's tough because I mean, back then, like there was just less, there was less people competing. Um, and I, I think, you know, like tons of respect for the people who were doing it back then. And it was a different thing and there was less technology and everything was less controlled. Um, but yeah, for Dan, the, the further that we get into the maturity of the sport, you know, winning five of anything is just going to become so, so, so much harder. You don't see people anymore that have like 27 times 70.3 champion. <laughs> whereas like six years ago, that was pretty common if you'd heard of somebody because there was enough racing to do it. So, uh, yeah. 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 I think it's like Daniela and then it's like Paula and Chrissy and maybe like your, you know, uh, Emma Snowsells and Gwen Jorgensen's and that kind um, next. But yeah, Daniela. And yeah, it's got to be Christian, doesn't it? I think the men's is trickier because you sort of got to take it off what's happened up until this point. And at this point, Christian's resume in the sport is quite a bit better than probably the next best uh, male. And And like you said, he's transcended different distances and He's also had a big impact on the sport. Like I think Christians changed the way people do things. Um, and so I think, I think it is Christian. Although, I mean, I think Sam Laidlow might, might in uh, like eight years time have something to say about that. And yeah, people like Hayden Wild and that. Yeah. See, I mean, that's the, the trick is doing it for the, over that long of a period. You know, it's uh, we do see people have meteoric rises somewhat frequently, but then maintaining it for as long as Jan did and Chrissy and Daniela and anyone who's been around like legitimately near the top for five plus years is, is, is it's hard. It's a lot to keep your body together and keep your head together yeah. for that long. And especially with the arms race of training in triathlon, like everyone is like constantly in a pursuit to do more and, and be better. And so because everyone's like getting better younger, like Sam Laidlow winning the world championships at 24 or, you know, Christian doing what he's done before the age of 30. It, it does make you wonder like, will we see longevity like we used to? And like, I think Christian's going to be a really interesting case study with that. Like how long does he stay at the top of, of long course triathlon um, post Paris Olympics? And yeah, interesting to, interesting to see it. But yep, for me, Danielle Reef for the women and Christian Blumenfeld for the men. Um, in 2024, which championship race between the Ironman World Champs, 70.3 World Champs, or the PTO Grand Final is Gustav Eden most likely to win? Okay. Uh, PTO Champs, the Grand Final, WTS Grand Final? No, the PTO Grand Final. Yeah. Um, which is late next year. Uh, the Ironman yeah. World Championships, uh, which is in Kona, okay. or the 70.3 World Championships in December. Um, probably seventy point three world championships. You think he'll um? You think he'll go to New Zealand to do it? I don't know, but just in terms of like the the race dynamics, that's what I would guess. Yeah, like the distance. Do you think the distance suits him more than the other two? I just think that uh, the PTO bike rides really feature guys like Magnus and Sam Laidlow that just you know they have big power and the aerodynamics is important and the weight is less important. And I think Gustav is a really, really savvy racer and like his win in St. George, for example, which is one I just got to have a front row seat to, uh, he was in the pack and until he made his move 
you know, before Snow Canyon. And then he just freaking launched like a bullet. He treated it like a cycling race. He made his move, you know, was relatively chilling up till that point. And I don't think there's much as much of an opportunity for that in Ironman in the 100K distance with the 20K rule. So it's it's much less tactical from what I, you know, from my opinion and from my experience. It's a hard question though, isn't it? Because my brain tells me he could win any of them if it's the Gustav Eden of 2022. Like I think he just, totally. if it's 22 Gustav Eden, he probably does win them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but if I had to like hedge my bets on one. Yeah, it's what makes it hard picking one. Um, I guess the question is like, PTO racing, like that grand final is going to be a flat, fast bike ride. So it, you know, it probably will come down to being a running race or like if the bike does get away, it'll be that front group who can just time trial really well and stay in the time trial position. So it probably doesn't favor someone who's coming back from the back of the race. So it is a chance for someone like a Magnus or a Sam Laidlow. But I, or like, I think like the big competition there for Gustav would be Christian um, if they both both raced it. Christian will probably be running well from the Olympics. Uh, I think Sam Laidlow is his biggest threat. Like of any of the races, I think Sam Laidlow at the Ironman World Championships in Kona is his biggest threat. So I'll say that'll be the hardest one for him to win. So I'll, I'll actually agree with you and yeah. say 70.3 World Championships is the one that if he is going to win it, he could win it the most easily. So, yep, that's the one he's most likely to win. Although, again, like all the – all like. The, the course at the 70.3 World Championships next year, it's an absolute draft fest course. So with the 10-meter Ironman um, rule, it's like a super flat, like slightly rolly, but like a super group-heavy um, ride. So it would be hard to get away on the bike, but he's probably just going to outrun everyone with Jason West most likely not targeting it and Christian most likely not targeting it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm going with you. 70.3 World Champs as well. All right. Okay, so it's last-minute Christmas shopping time for someone in your life or even for yourself. And if you haven't given Win Republic's website a visit, you should go and have a look right now. Win Republic have got so many great things that you could buy for someone you know who does triathlon or for yourself if you're into some self-love at the moment. They make the world's fastest, comfiest, most practical and by far best-looking tri-suits. And they have so many women's and men's active wear options for your running. Like they have women's uh, run tights, shorts, crop tops. And for the men, they have things that I wear every single time I, I get out the door for my runs at the moment in some run tights, some tanks and some tees. Uh, so yeah, head on over to Win Republic's website. You can just search them on Google or you know search them on Instagram if you if you don't know where to find them. Uh, and if you do want to buy anything, you can use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off. And no one needs to know that you bought their Christmas present with a little discount on the on the side. And then uh, by the end of 2024, do you think the PTO World Champion or the Ironman World Champion will be the mo- the more desirable title? Hmm. I think the Kona world champion is <laughs> very desirable and I, it's hard to think people care, you know, too, too much about wherever else it is. Tragically. Yeah. Do you think that will change? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for me, like watching Nice was incredibly entertaining, but it didn't have the same like mythological, historical, crazy hype magic that Kona has, I mean, Kona is like the beating heart of the whole brand and the thing that we've seen on TV since we were eight years old. And so it's, it's, it's really, it's really hard to just be like, Oh, it's, it's just the world championship is in a different place. I'm like, well, yeah, but it's like, you know, just saying, Oh, dirty Kansas is going to be in Florida. I unbound is going to be in Florida. You, you should care about it still, but it's a whole different course. It's a whole different, you know, that's hard. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think like people hate change, and it's only so long before um, people just don't even remember what things used to be like. Like in ten years' time, if Iron Man just commit to it and go, um, well, this is just how it is, we, we we will have forgotten, you know. And I think it will just go to it being as prestigious, no matter where it is. Uh, but for twenty twenty four, I think I'm with you that <laughs> we can't really like segment them and go, well winning the Ironman World Championships at Kona will be more prestigious than the PTO um, World Champion than whichever gender or whichever sex it is that races at Nice. Um, so I think you have to group the Ironman World Champion title as a whole. Like So it, it takes into account the male and female race and then the PTO uh, 
you know, world champion as a whole, uh, male and female. So, because um, I'm with you, I think winning whoever wins the male world championships next year, that will be the most prestigious one. Then the P, the two PTO champions, then the female Ironman world champion, just by virtue of it being at Nice. I'm with you. The, the same way I sort of felt about yeah. it this year. Like the, I think Lucy Charles Barclay's win this year was definitely a more prestigious, more recognised win than Sam Laidlow's, even though they were both like very similar wins both at the Ironman World Championships, but like both the same, really. But Lucy's yeah. felt bigger, didn't it? Yeah, we just have so much context and so much baggage, you know, in a positive way that we're bringing to that storyline. We know what's happening. We're we've we've been into it for a long time. But I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that by the end of 2024, the PTO World Champion will be the the bigger deal, the one that uh, more people are, are watching, caring about, and that athletes are going like, "Oh, I'd like to do that." Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's, I, I hope so. We'll, we'll see. I think like the number of people that will have watched PTO events is obviously going to be quadruple 10 times, 20 times, whatever the number of people that have watched the Ironman world, you know, events, um, just because they're going to have so many of them and TV coverage and all the things, but it'll just be like, I, you know, anecdotally, I had this experience last year where you know, you get so hyped and especially with, you know, Paula racing those races and them being big key races and she could win, get so worked up for them. And then three weeks later, there's another one. You got to get so hyped up for it. And it's like, seems like such a huge deal. And then there's another one and then there's 70.3 worlds. And by its end, you're just kind of like, oh my God, like all of these were the biggest race of our lives that I cared about. And then they're just happening so frequently now. And you kind of normalize it a little bit. And I don't know, it's just, it'll be really interesting to see how like, how good of a job. Cause like, if you watch formula one, right? Like every race is a huge deal and there's a lot of money and a lot of stakes and everything, but there are like eight of them. So it decreases the importance on any one versus like Kona's the Super Bowl, And it's just like, boom, one day, all or nothing crazy. Did you just let slip some info that maybe is uh, not publicly known by saying there's going to be eight of them? Did I say a number? Yeah. You said eight. Well, I mean, that's what they said they wanted to do last year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is what they said. That's what I think is going to happen. But are you saying that with uh, some insider knowledge? <laughs> I have, I have no idea how many that they are actually <laughs> going to like try to do. But <laughs> I know that's like the goal and has been the goal from the beginning to like have a legitimate series. I, I have no idea how many. You know, is is realistic. <laughs> well, yeah, I think there's going to be eight for what it's worth as well. Um, and. Uh, I, I think that's interesting because obviously if they're going to start around, you know, that March, April time, that means that we've already gotten rid of January and February. So that means there's 10 months to do eight races. So that, that means there's pretty much going to be a race every single month um, all year. If we assume they're not doing December, um, which I'm going to assume they're not, um, that means there's, yeah, that's three months off. So oh, that's like, yeah, I mean, if you did, that's just, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know when, how the schedule is going to shake out, but like trying to process qualifying for 70.3 worlds, doing 70.3 worlds, then doing however many PTO races they come up with like that is just, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot to think about. And especially since, you know, like the, the, the PTO is like, is like an international thing. It's not just, you can't just like stay in your home country and do it. It's, it's so much travel. So mm. Yeah, with, I don't know. with eight races in nine months between like March, April, and November, that's like over what three potentially four continents. That's that's huge, isn't it? Um, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see whether we do get fatigued by it, and whether come you know September, October, November, whether we are a bit sick of PTO racing or whether we're just loving it. Like we're just loving having a big race that's televised that you can watch and, and isn't complicated to watch and where the best athletes are racing, you know, a lot of the time. And there's like the leaderboard with the championship series. It'll be interesting to see whether we're as into it or more into it come, you know, um, October, November as what we were the first sort of two, three races in like March, April, May, June. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that it has that, that it's lacking potentially that like formula one has is it just doesn't feel like as much can happen. And it kind of feels like people bring into the season, the fitness that they're going to have a bit and, you know, like some people work into it, but it's not, it's not like, you know, Oh, Mercedes figured out the porpoising thing. And now they're freaking winning instead of getting 18th on the, you know, and, and like, I feel like there's more things and there's penalties that happen all the time and all these things that, you know, 
sometimes you, even with Kona, sometimes you like two hours into the broadcast, you're like, yeah, this feels like something could go wrong, but I've got a good idea what's going to happen. Or like, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. Like it felt like two, three hours into both men's and women's races this year at Kona and Nice at the world championships, we knew who'd already won it. It really did feel like yeah. it in both races. And I know what you mean because the PTO Asian Open last year was the exact same. Like it didn't, it, it sort of just felt like a fait complete by halfway as to like what was going to happen and um, that, you know, if there was going to be battles, they'd be more be for the minor placings. And I think that's what's important yeah. with the PTO is I think I haven't really cared about it like up until um, now with like the back of the racing and, you know, watching those battles. I Honestly, I wasn't in that camp of caring about it. But 2024, if you're going to have, you know, 15, 20 athletes contracted and if people are going to have to race, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight races, I think it's super important for the sake of the leaderboard that it, we don't just focus on the winner. Like the winner is important. Like Max Verstappen in F1 is important. But if you watch F1, you barely watch Max Verstappen. So he won every, like pretty much every race this year, 18 out of 21 or something like that or 19 out of 21. Yeah. But the amount of TV time he got wasn't that big because they would spend more time focusing on all the other battles, like the actual close racing. So I think the PTO definitely need to do that next year where, you know, maybe we've got a battle for sixth or seventh on the leaderboard between Fred Funk and, you know, take your pick, Eric Lagerstrom, for example. Um, yeah. Or just like who is in danger of not being included in the series next year. And, you know, whatever the number of athletes that they cut it off at for start lists, like, that was super interesting for me watching drive to survive of, you know, so-and-so is, is like going to get cut by Alfa Romeo because they're not performing and they're going to bring up another athlete. And there's only 16 seats. And that whole drama is like just as interesting and exciting as who's going to win because this is these people's livelihood at the back of the pack yep. as well. Yeah, exactly. That's the key to their success is caring about the win and paying the win and like paying for the higher, the higher up you're finishing. And that being what every athlete wants, but the PTO focusing on the battles and the drama and the the competition between everyone in the races, like putting, you know, yeah. as big a weight on the battle for 14th and 15th as they are for fifth and fourth um, and that kind of thing. I think that really will be what makes it because if we have eight races next year and it's just all like boring, um, decided by the start of the run or 2K into the run, and that's happening at 16 different races, you know, like eight um, times two with the men's and women's races. I think we will get bored of that, particularly if it's the same people. Mm -hmm. Whereas if there's a focus on the battles and the leaderboard and, you know, even like the social interactions, you know, like the Daniel Backergaard and Maxi Newman rivalry and who's, you know, who's winning that. And, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, like someone who came from nowhere and, you know, wasn't even seen as a threat and is now ninth in the standings, like focusing on that story and following them for races. Um, if that happens and, the PTO pull that off, then yeah, by the end of 2024, I think we'll all really care about who wins the PTO um, uh, World Championship, and it'll be a big deal. But uh, yeah, I think there is an element that if it if it is covered and becomes a bit boring, and by the end of the year we're a bit sick of it and don't really care who wins, the Ironman World Championships have the potential to feel like a breath of fresh air because people won't have been watching a lot of Ironman racing um, because they will have been watching a lot of PTO racing. So that might mean that by September um, and October that we're actually really excited for the Ironman World Championships and can't wait to, for it. And, and then that does hold its crown as like, okay, we're watching the PTO more and we care about it more, but the Ironman World Championship titles still are the most prestigious titles. Yeah, or, or it's just an equally exciting thing. One day, one off, like a, like classics in cycling versus the Tour de France or something. Yeah, but we're not allowed to sit on it's... the fence. We've got to pick one. Yeah. 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 Interesting thing while we're on the PTO and I don't know if I'm going to have another opportunity to say this like easily, but my coach Paulo Sousa had this idea of the drafting penalties in the PTO races or just in any race in general. What if the drafting penalties were like 30 seconds or like 40 seconds instead of whatever they are like five minutes. So you've got more like formula one where there's relegations you know, constantly athletes are like a little bit less afraid to get get them but more importantly the referees are less afraid to hand out a penalty thinking like i'm going to completely ruin someone's day and that's just like part of the dynamic of the race is like oh magnus has got a penalty and so and so's got a penalty and christian's got a penalty and they all got to serve them and they're in the pit together and like you know it's just like this ongoing drama so it feels like things can be happening 
during the whole bike versus somebody gets a penalty. It's just, they should just stop the race. No brainer, mate. I couldn't agree more with that. I think that's like something the PTO shouldn't sit on and go, oh yeah, maybe one day. I think that's like a one meeting, like, hey, let's sit down on a table. We want to make racing more exciting. Let's get rid of five minute penalties. They just ruin races. They're just, yeah. they're unnecessarily long because that's how they've always been. Uh, it just it doesn't make sense for PTO racing. You lose five minutes, you are not winning a race. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I just think the referees are so par- are so petrified to just destroy someone's day slash life slash career that, you know, you're like more hesitant versus, yeah, whatever. Like they can still get back in the race. It'll suck, but it is still possible to get back in the race. 100%. This is such a no-brainer. Like literally that should be enforced for race one. And that, like you said, it could be so exciting. Imagine if for a drafting penalty, it's only 30 seconds. That, 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 that makes things so exciting. And especially if you have to serve them at certain times, like there's a penalty tent in a really visible spot that's like actually looks Immediately. good. It doesn't- Next time. Yeah, like your next time around on that lap. So it's at, say we have three, four, five, six lap bike courses, eight lap bike courses, whatever it is. We have a penalty tent that isn't like, you know, not like a, what you might see at a sausage sizzle. Like jail, like prison. Well, not a prison. <laughs> and you have to put on like a little prison outfit while you're in there. No, yeah. not like that. But also not like a, a sausage sizzle tent. Like, you know, like that, that looks like shitty, like something more, yeah. like something that looks presentable, like looks good. And it's an exciting place with like a really obvious countdown board that it says like the person's name and how much longer they have to go that the camera can sort of grab. And there's just a stationary yeah. camera there. So they don't have to spend heaps of money. There's just a stationary camera there with a really good camera angle that shows it. And then it would show like the athlete and then, then a camera that's set up in a different spot that shows them like leaving it and then, then if it's 30 seconds or 40 seconds or whatever it is, that really changes it because they probably end up in another group and like a group might've just come past. So it'll show them having to work really hard to get onto that group. And it's like, okay, now Magnus is in a group with Aaron Royal, Fred Funk. He's not in a group with Sam Laidlow, Matthias Magier. Like that, that is so exciting. Yeah. New group, new dynamic. Are they going to chase? How's that going to, is, is he going to drag that group up? You know, all sorts of new things. And actually enforcing the rules because at the PTO races, I've seen a lot of drafting and very, very few well, penalties are non-existent in PTO racing. They actually just don't happen at the moment. And it's probably like you said, the PTO don't want races dictated to by like a big five-minute penalty. So they're like, just be a bit cautious. Like we'll use Race Ranger. Hey, we'll keep like this is a bit of an honesty system. It's probably better than 10-meter rule. But if we have Race Ranger plus shorter penalties – and it actually adds to the excitement of races, then you'll have referees who do make calls uh, on it. So you will actually see a lot more excitement and, and action. Um, and I, if I look back to Singapore, I got a little bored at points during the, the, the bike leg at Singapore because it just yeah. it felt like nothing was really happening. Um, and that could have been something that was interjected into the race um, that, that made it more exciting. Because uh, I think with a three to four hour event, we are crying out for more little like, micro bits of drama and excitement aren't we yeah totally like that, that's why we'll watch uh and you know a hundred mile race like fairly closely because our friend you know heather jackson runs 100 mile uh marathons feels like oh yeah she's 10 minutes ahead but in the next minute she could start walking she could you know the whole loser breakfast like break her hip like anything could happen and that's i think that's the magic and the uh the last question eric is Will doping have a big case in 2024 the same way it did in 2023? A big case? A big athlete court. Mm. What was the big case this year? Come on, Colin Chartier. (laughs) Man, that was this year? Yeah, it feels like ages ago, doesn't it? That feels like last year. Yeah. Wow. Uh, March, May this uh, year. March, April, May this year. Right. Yeah. I guess it's just like the last time he raced was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, man, I don't know. I was thinking about this while I was, I was running on the treadmill prior to us talking and I do, I do my best thinking while I'm running on the treadmill some, for some reason. And <laughs> I kind of figured you'd talk about doping. Um, <laughs> hey, this isn't me. This is sending questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, it's a hot topic, right? And I guess all that I can say is it, is is at one point in time my my approach with my thought was definitely like there's not enough money in triathlon to for people to dope and like 
doping must cost millions of dollars. Like I, I don't have no idea how much it costs to do a month of doping, but it, it sounds like it, it cannot be cheap to do it like well and secretly and with the right doctor and all the things. And, um, but it's like with the more money that's coming in with the PTO and, and like, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know how much it costs dope, but I know how much like some of the top athletes are making from the bike companies and stuff. And it, it certainly seems like we're now in, in a position with intraathlon where it could be, uh, you know, like it, profitable to do so and to spend money on that. So I, I don't like people are people. And I don't see why that is not going to continue to be a problem with the amount of money that the PTO is bringing in Ironman increasing money and I'm just not educated well enough on it to know if that's going to lead to more, you know, how, how difficult it is to not get caught and how it's going to lead to more uh, people getting caught or not. But uh, I don't know. My, my, my approach with doping personally has always kind of been that I feel like I don't really have any control over it. I can just control myself. And the more I think about it, the more mad I get and it doesn't impact what I can do. So I try not to think about it very much. But if you had to say, Yes, yes, there will be a big case. Yes, a big athlete will get caught or not. Would you go more towards yes or no? Mm, probably no, I guess. Like history, like the the Chartier thing was like such a huge deal that it just like sent shockwaves through the whole sport. And, you know, like runners that we know are like, oh, that's a big deal. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh you guys are so worked up. Like you had no idea. Um, so I just like, I'll I'll just say this, that I... I'm not like the most prolific winner of 70.3s, but I have won a few. I've raced a ton and I've been tested in a 70.3 one time. Mm, yeah. So I, you know, it seems like it wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like the Colin story, for example, just a an unlucky uh, out of competition test that most dopers would, uh, would, would, would get by pretty pretty much 10 times out of 10. So that was a bit of an outlier case with uh, how that all played out uh, behind the scenes. So I'm with you. I would say that uh, no, for sure. I would be completely shocked if we had a big uh, a big case, like a big positive test in, um, in 2024. Uh, that's not to say people aren't doping, like, like you said. And, yeah. and Josh Amberger talked about this with me the, uh, the other week. Um, with more money in the sport comes more doping. It doesn't, it's, it's simple. It really is because yeah. more people make more money who can then go, Oh, well, you know, um, maybe I might look into it and then they can afford to do it and they can afford to keep it, keep it secret. And then it's this cycle of like, well, I want to make more money. There's a lot of money in the sport now that, you know, you can make millions of dollars from the sport now. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go dope to do that. You then win run race. It pays for more doping. It's like, there's just definitely doping in the sport and um, probably always will be same way there definitely is in cycling and running. Of course there is. Um, but uh, if the question is, will someone get caught next year? No, I don't think there'll be a big case. Yeah. Doubt it. Cool. That's all the questions, Eric. All right. That was good. Yeah, man. Those are, those are good questions. You got some, you got some uh, good question people <laughs> listening to your your podcast question askers <laughs> yeah question askers i'm I'm sorry it's like that time of the day here where your brain goes to mush and you know like should be taking a nap but uh hopefully hopefully i didn't sound too dumb how many coffees are you on today so far that's like i mean actually i didn't have a coffee this morning before swimming and then i i had one midday but I, i'd say this is kind of a low coffee day for me yeah that explains it mate you you like you're a coffee drinker yeah. yeah, you would you would more yeah. often have three than you would just have one, wouldn't you? <laughs> I don't think I have as much coffee as as people assume, and espresso isn't as uh, high caffeine content as like a drip coffee. But um, I just I and Paul and I both love you know like the fika concept, the act of getting coffee, of doing coffee with friends and meeting people and um, going out. So that's that's more it. I'm not sure sure how addicted I am to caffeine since I. Like I completely forgot to make myself a coffee this morning before going to swimming. So there you go. Yeah, I'm with you. I love that concept of Fika. My One of my favorite cafes ever is called that, uh, called Fika. And it, yeah, the act of getting coffee and the routine around coffee and like when you like first get your coffee and then sitting around with friends and drinking coffee, that is like a thousand times better than the actual coffee. Mm-hmm. A plus, <laughs> A plus experience. <laughs> All right, mate. Thank you for joining us uh, for your first edition of the Triathlon Hour Q&As. Um, 
hopefully we do a few more in, in the future because uh, you do have good opinions and uh, you've got a great microphone like I was telling you off air. So you do have that really deep, um, you know, more manly voice than what you have in real life, which the audience will love. Like a sexy voice helps and, you know, your microphone definitely makes your voice sound nice and sexy. So you're welcome here anytime for a Q&A session. So anytime you want to do one, just let me know and we'll jump on. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> See you, mate. Later. The Feed is your one-stop shop for all your triathlon nutritional needs. If there's a nutritional product worth its salt that you use in training or racing, it will be on The Feed. So instead of having to go to multiple online websites or different shops and drive around town all day, save yourself the hassle. Just visit thefeed.com and grab it all from the one place.